It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. And what a week is in store for all of us. Yes, the heat is back. The heat wave is on its way, getting better each day. The air conditioning is on. And it takes money, doesn't it, to run air conditioning too. But uh, this weather, you couldn't really do without it. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a lovely weekend. And good luck to everybody for the week ahead with schools out and summer holidays on and beaches on our doorstep and things to do get out and enjoy it for sure folks this week it'll be a long winter and with that in mind we're starting the show today and you probably think well Kelly and the crew in there have lost their marbles because they're looking ahead to the winter well you have to look ahead and you have to plan the heat wave is back but the heat this winter and the cost of heating our homes and all that goes with it is going to come into sharp focus quite quickly. And I'm delighted to say hello again to a man who is an energy efficiency expert. Paul O'Reilly, welcome back to Late Lunch. Thank you very much, Gary. Good, good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you too. Now, let me... I, I, we're going, I want to talk heat pumps with you today, if you don't mind. And I know you know all about them because there's so much said and written and talked about in these. But I just want to drill down into laywoman's and laymen's language. First of all, Paul, there are two types, ground source, air source. What's the difference? Um, I suppose, and there's even more than that, by the way, but yeah. ground source and air... Ground source... Um, would take the heat out of the ground. You know, there's a series of pipes, and if you have a large back garden, you take the heat out of the out of the out of the ground ground source, basically, yep. uh, either by drilling it vertically down like a well or horizontally if you've lots of space. Mm. And air source, you take it from the air, just like a unit that would like a ventilation unit that would sit at, at the back in the backyard of your house, and you take the heat out of the air and bring it into the house. Okay. And then, I sorry, in both cases, you can take the air. Into the house, and then you then you'd go air to water heat pump, mm. or, or water to water if you're taking it out of the ground. Okay. Different combinations. Of different combinations there, but the basic two, and there are more. I do know that, but ground source, air source are the ones that are are, are most common. Um, yeah. What wh- what does it take? Right, it's all right saying you'd go down into the ground or you take from the air, but you need electricity to power this. 
You certainly do. And um, I mean, just of all, just to say, there is benefits to heat pumps. Mm. Uh, there's lots of other issues, but the biggest benefit is they're a very efficient form of, because they don't actually generate heat, they just move it from one place to another. Like in the reverse of what a fridge does, it doesn't generate cooling, it just takes the heat out of the fridge and, try, and leaves it in the room. So it takes, it, it just moves the heat from inside the unit, the fridge unit to the outside. Mm. And, in, and, a, and a heat pump does the same. It takes that bit of heat that's outside in the garden or in the air, and it, up, it raises its temperature a wee bit and deposits it in the house. It can also do reverse. It can act as coolant, but it yeah. just moves heat. And the electricity kind of, because it's using pumps, it's pumping around in circles uh, from compressing them and condensing them. So it's kind of little sequence going on and uh, the heat pump, and that's where electricity is used. So it moves heat, doesn't generate heat. Okay, and will you spend less on electricity, Paul? Um, that's the $50 million question. Um the first thing is it depends on the house and the building you're heating. Mm. If it's a very efficient house, a nice and airtight, well insulated, nice sized rooms um, and a good uh, distribution system like an underfloor heating system. Um, because it only the heat pump is only taking the temperature up a nominal amount. I mean, if you picture your kind of your oil boiler, it turns the radiator to jet hot. Mm. The heat pump won't do that. It just takes it up a few degrees, maybe 30 degrees. So your floor is at, say, 29, 31 degrees continuously so the air temperature in the house is nice and warm. But if you've opened windows or bad insulation or poorly insulated floors, that heat will be gone in moments and your heat pump won't be worth anything to you. So, so he- here's, here's an idiotic question. Does yep. the heat from the heat pump heat radiators? It, no, it does, yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't retrofit with your existing radiators because they're designed for water flowing through them. Okay. At high temperatures, but you can get a different sort of an aluminium radiator. It's not as efficient as underfloor, but but they do work in with the right design. They do mm. work, yeah. So the ideal is underfloor, and is that uh, in a first story as well? Underfloor, but you know, between the 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 roof space and the floor above, is there? Ideally, absolutely. Ideally, that's how it should be done. But you can, I mean, it's, you know, because the radiator designs now are getting more efficient. Mm. Yeah, uh, for you can ground ground. Ground floor, underfloor, and first floor. Um, okay, okay, a combination of the two there. You mentioned something that interests me there. You can reverse this to cool the house in conditions like we're going to have this week. Yep, in theory, exactly. That's how it works. It, it you know, you, you can um, reverse the flow, and uh, not all of heat pumps are designed to do that. But but it's 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 a it's a simple process. You just reverse the process, and um, mostly in air conditioning units in in, our, in commercial buildings, that's exactly what they do. Okay, now come back to something you said. So we need new radiators. We'll have to uh, ideally install underfloor. But if you can, can you use radiators in the downstairs environment as well? You can, but you want a very efficient house because yes. the radiators aren't quite as, as good as the underfloor. So it can be made to work. But this is where the whole fabric of the house becomes crucial. Yes. That the little bit of heat, and it's only a little bit of heat you're bringing in, is good enough. Because if you picture the very cold winter's day, Mm. Now you're struggling to get to find that heat in the air outside or on the ground, mm. and now you're trying to get you're trying to pump up that heat to give you a decent heat on the inside. And to be honest, there can be times, if depending on the heating system, that it isn't capable of driving heat to the level you want it. Okay. Now the thing is, this you talk about the house, and I hear about people wrapping their houses and wrapping it right round uh, above at all sides of the house, the, the the windows, the doors. Does it need to be completely sealed? Uh, short answer is yes, because um, it's like the old analogy of putting on your, your jacket going out on a cold day. If you don't zip it up, 
and the air is blowing in around you, you're going to get very cold. Mm. But you can zip it up and put a, a necktie around, you know, you're going to be warm. So basically, you are making it airtight and insulated because one with the other doesn't work. Mm. Um, so, I mean, basically, if it, the ideally, the best form of insulation is to externally insulate because that way you can look at, you can see all your roof, walls, windows, doors. You can get right around the house without missing any gaps. Yes. When you go inside and insulate, you really don't know whether you're hitting and missing because of the doors stopping and the ceilings and the floors. So it's ideal to do an external wraparound, like the analogy of the warm jacket or the warm coat. So that will be required when you talk about retrofitting. You're going to have to rewrap your house and look at your windows and doors as well and seal up. So that's an additional cost. The cost... It, it, yeah, it, cert- it certainly is. Of course, you don't act in, you know, there's lots of situations where you mightn't be able to externally. Yeah. Um, but intern- internal insulation can be done just as good, but it's a, tr- it's a little trickier, but it can be done. You're losing a bit of wall space and, you know, you might lose a bit of space, but, uh, yeah. but no, it can be done. But yeah, absolutely, it's a cost. And you couldn't put a heat pump into a traditional Irish house built 20, 30 years ago because the heat wouldn't be strong enough to, to heat the house. So it's a, it's essential to retrofit, yeah. So retrofitting will have to happen. You talk about the radiator scenario and then the pump itself. This is costly, Paul. Yes, yes. And um, for people listening today who would like to buy into this and change the way they heat their homes, I know there are some grants that are not available, but it, 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 they're grants, we have to say. They, they won't touch uh, the obvious, uh, the overall cost. What would you say? Could you put a rough figure on a, a home, say a three-bedroom, semi-detached home, doing what's required to convert? Um, what would you be talking about money-wise, roughly? I mean, I'm going to say twenty-five to 50000 Um Somewhere between those figures, um, probably won't go down from that, but mm. it could go up from it. Um, by the time you do, you're your, your basically making the, air, the, the building airtight as well. Your heat pump, insulation door. I mean, one thing that rarely ever happened in this country: we might have insulated, we might have double glazed windows, but we rarely have insulated doors front or back. Yes. Um, so uh, we have nice wooden doors on many houses, but you know the panels can be very very narrow. So mm. um, so an insulated doors are a must. Um, and um, and adhesion controls and all that goes with it. So, yes, that's um, that's interesting to hear that figure because that puts it in perspective. And as I said, grants wouldn't touch that, and that's an awful lot of money for most people. A semi-detached house. Just stay with that for a second for me. You do your house, but there's an adjoining wall to you and your neighbour, and they don't bother doing anything. How are we fixed? Um, I suppose um, ex- if you were externally insulating it, yeah, you you have a small issue because your house will be slightly proud of their house. Um, because you'd be putting 100 mil, 150 mil insulation on the outside of it. Internally, it doesn't matter too much because unless mm. if they're heating their house, you might get a gain. Not the coldest wall, the gable, the party wall. I love this. We're uh, we, we love our neighbours. Love thy neighbour, and we love them even more. The heat coming through the walls to us, and we t- tap into the Wi-Fi. No, don't do that. I'm, I'm only cutting there. I'm only being facetious. But yeah, that's an interesting point. But here's the thing. Look, in a general sense, yeah. we're hearing that you know gas burners, whatever you like to call them, oil burners, etc. Do you see the day approaching? that they will be a no-no? Well, that day is approaching and it's written in legislation that their days are numbered. I don't have them offhand, but it was something like 2025 for for gas, gas. burners and yeah. 2026 for oil burners. Mm. Now, more than the diesel cars and everything else, yes. suddenly the, the technicians and the expertise involved in those products um, are lost. 
Yeah. So you might still have an oil fired burner in 2030, but if anything goes wrong with it, you'd be very limited in how to repair it, mm. fix it, etc. So the, 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 their days are numbered. Um, I mean, the, the heat pumps are can be more energy efficient, um, but the cost of electricity, as we can see, is going through yes. the roof. Yeah. There is one benefit, though, just to say in relation ahead, yeah. to a heat pump. Yeah. Um, the idea of solar panels, because as the costs of electricity rise, and I think there was a report in the paper last week about the ERSI estimates that the cost of electricity could rise by 46% by all the, if all the retrofitting that's needed is, takes place. Mm. Um, but that the cost could rise by 46%. But if you were installing solar panels, one beauty there is that your solar panels could cover the, could cover the energy needs of your heating system. So you would be cost neutral going into the future. And um, bearing in mind all of the unknowns that we're meeting with climate change and carbon mm. emissions and everything else, that's not a bad place to be, even if it costs you a little bit today, knowing that you now are um, totally cost-free in terms of your heating system. Would you yeah. do that as a, as, a, as a definite thing to look at today, to putting in solar panels? Oh, I, I, absolutely, yeah. That would be your number, number one? Um, so, no, so I, number one is to make the house more efficient because the old adage of, of you put solar panels on and you don't do the efficiency measures, you're generating electricity on your roof okay. to lose it through your walls. Yes. So the first step is definitely, the, unfortunately, the energy efficiency. But have you, when you've done those, the last step then is solar panels because <laughs> now you're generating electricity efficiently and not lo- losing it away. Yes. Come back to that point. Uh, I mentioned the wrap of the house and a lot of companies doing that wrap now. I think I mentioned this to you before, but remind me and uh, listeners as well. You know where the traditional cavity, my house is built brick on the outside, cavity, block on the inside and a good insulation inside that again. And it's a very efficient house. It's very quick to warm up, but it'll cool down as well quite quickly. But it is fast to heat and I have an oil system at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you stand in pumping the cavities with the insulation? Um, I mean, it's certainly it's it, in, if you've got an existing cavity wall, chances are it's got insulation in there. Probably not um, laid as efficiently as you might want it. But pumping them is, a, is certainly a good solution today. And um, there are methods uh, with infrared cameras to, to detect um, how well it's been insulated. So, in other words, if a guy comes and insulates your cavity wall, you might have no idea if it's done a proper job, a full job, if he's left gaps. But um, if you, if you have a, if this job is done during winter and it's cold, there's a good difference in temperature outside to inside and you have a thermal camera. One view through the thermal camera will tell you exactly where the hidden misses are or if it's fully insulated. And if it's uh, been missed, can it be fixed? Well, well, this is it. I mean, if you've hired someone to do it and um, their, their mission is that uh, the result, you know, after a full thermal imaging review, um, you'd very quickly pick up the gaps and obviously they'd be brought back in to make sure to, there are no to gaps. To fix that, yeah. Uh, and, go on. And that's really the only difficulty with, with pumping is that just that unknown. But to take the unknown out of it, that you know you have a fully insulated, because normally the cavities were, in the past were 100 mil with 50 mil insulation or 60 mil. So yeah. you have the gap of 40 mil and then potentially gaps between the insulation panels. Yes. Um, so a good insulation system would, would close all those. Would so you do that ahead today again? I come back to you, I'm putting you on the spot a lot, Paul, sorry about this. But would you do that, you know, uh, with, say, a heat pump becoming part of your system down the road? Essential, yeah. No, you would. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Just okay. standard insulated wall cavity wouldn't be good enough. Okay. Okay, that's that's really good. Again, and I've listeners. There aren't to be a, a who's going to pay for this, Jerry? What about people who are struggling to live day to day? I, look, I knew this would come, and it's a fact. How is this paid for, Paul? 
Um, well, that's 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 the big issue, um, and not just this country. All you know, not to mention just Europe, but it's yes. a worldwide issue. Retrofitting existing buildings is a crucial piece of the equation, and um, and the cost of it. That's why it hasn't really happened. And there are good grants out there, and they're not being taken up because of that exact issue. Okay, you might get a nicely insulated house at the end of it, but who has? You know, an additional twenty-five to fifty thousand yes. pounds to spend on future-proofing their property. Great mm. idea, fabulous. But is the, yeah, is the money there to do it, and is the incentive there to do it? Um, it's it's it, yeah, it's an issue. It is. So I think th- th- there are grants, though. Just to say that, and I do know people are quite afraid of the retrofitting grants, and that you know, but they are there, and they'll give thirty, probably thirty to fifty percent, but a baseline of thirty percent of the costs. Yeah, a listener's wondering what you're saying. Taking air from outside, sure, it's generally colder outside than inside, says a listener. Would you explain that, please? Yeah, I suppose it's it's like the basically just in in simple terms, um, it's a circulation pump that's there. It's taking the air in in refrigerant, and what happens? It's like if you if you're pumping up your bicycle or just a standard old pump, you find that the valve gets very hot as you pump the air. So basically, when you compress air, it heats up. And the reverse, if you have a cylinder, let's say a spray can for you know, uh, uh, deodorant, it gets very cold when you release pressure. So you're playing with those two factors, mm. pumping things around in circles, you're heating them, cooling them, and you're extracting the smallest amount of heat out of... In other words, if you take the heat of a heat pump, a you know, bicycle pump will generate heat by just tip compressing yes. air. Mm. So it's the same type of principle. It's not, it's not intuitive, you know, like you, know, you stick a match under something and you appreciate you're getting heat. This is slightly counterintuitive, but, but it is the same effect. Um, you're just compressing air and that compression then heats, heats up the air or the liquid or whatever mm. refrigerant is used. Um, we're in our early 70s, Jerry. Would it be worth a while putting in solar panels? I take it from what you said, what those people should do who pose that question is insulate the walls and cavities, etc. first and then follow with the solar panels. And it would be worthwhile at that age, yes. Absolutely, yeah. No, um, but it, obviously the other steps come first to make sure the house is energy efficient. Yes. You might generate 10,000 kilowatts from your solar panels and lose it through the floors and yeah, walls. Yeah, yeah. So you need to have that survey done. Are there grants, somebody else says, for the solar panels and the insulating of the walls? Um, firstly, for the insulation of the walls, there are, there are, there's a schedule of grants okay. under the SCI website. You can see them. They actually tell you the price for insulation, the price for solar panels, the price for heating systems. Yes. Um, or you can join a scheme um, um, under what's called a BEC, Better Energy Community Scheme. And um, they are tricky, there's no question about it, but mm. with the pressure on government and the pressure on legislators, that there is a lot of money being pumped into those grant schemes to encourage people okay. to retrofit their houses. Okay. Where can people find out more about you? What's your easy uh, way of contacting you, your website? Um, my website for, the, for products, meters and monitors is my EcoHub. Um, yeah. myecohub.com but for commercial businesses I have another one called What Footprint W-A-T-T Footprint okay. um, and uh, yeah no we'd, um, that's what we do we help businesses save energy in the first instance and then generate it from renewable energy Oh I know you do and uh, you're in demand too Paul and we're delighted to chat to you from time to time uh, so I take it from our discussion today that the uh, the ambience in a house when this done you won't be hitting the heights of the real high degrees but you'll have a nice key uh, steady temperature I know women I know women that'll be in lagging jackets when this comes in <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's all I'll say to finish today. And they know who they are. Anyway, thank you so much for talking to us today. You're a mine of information. We'll be back to you, Paul. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Paul O'Reilly there. And check him out. Whatfootprint.ie. And there's two T's in that. Whatfootprint.ie to find out more about Paul. Now, I just want to say a big congratulations to Amy Broadhurst. Another gold medal for the young Dundalk woman at the Commonwealth Games to add to our world gold fantastic achievement she's a wonderful young woman and there are great times ahead for her but another goal too now she has come on Amy there's more on the way for sure well done to you again just to uh, mention our competition pair tickets to the Minalti Steam Threshing Festival which is happening this coming Sunday the question is tell me the name of Minalti in Irish the Irish name for Minalti, please. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. There's loads of you there already. Just giving uh, some latecomers to the show an opportunity to get into the competition. And if you're joining us on LMFM Radio's Late Lunch this afternoon, you're very, very welcome to the show. Now we move on and we hear a lot these days, don't we, about uh, emotions and resilience in teens. Well, when I spotted something that's uh, starting tomorrow, I said, I've got to talk about this. And I uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch the Artistic Director of Act Out Youth Theatre in Meath, Anthony Kennehan. Hello, Anthony. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Not at all. You're very welcome to the show. Well, well, well. Using performance and the art that you express yourself through and excel at, talk to me a bit about this. What's it going to happen over the next few days? Yeah, well, Jerry, um, just like the, the summer project is about, it's called Performing emotions and resilience, and we had an idea just that we would explore some different emotional kind of techniques and methods that actors and performers use uh, to express their craft, uh, to make their art, um, but also then uh, bring in an element of you know self care and acknowledgement and awareness and a, uh, and a resilience for the young performers themselves. So, like for example, myself being an actor, uh, Jerry. Sometimes if you're doing a particularly harrowing role, you might come off stage and you might feel it like it's still resonating with you afterwards. And sometimes if you're not really aware of it, it might be hard to shut down. Sometimes you might be taking it home with you, basically. Um, So this summer project is really about, number one, exploring how we use emotions through performing. uh, But number two, also knowing how we can, we as people ourselves, can be aware of our emotions uh, and bring that awareness uh, as a strength into performing, but also as a strength into our everyday lives as well and have really good techniques to, you know, for emotional awareness and how to manage strong emotions. uh, And yeah, kind of just to be more resilient performers and people in everyday life, really. Well, you know, it's, the pennies drop with me after all these years, Anthony. Well, uh, we have always known art uh, yeah. mirrors life, you know. But when yeah, you yeah. mention, you know, that you as uh, an actor uh, mm-hmm. in the part you play and how that can impact, and you, I'm sure you've experienced this. You obviously have through your career. Mm. Yeah, no, I have. Like, for example, there's a, there's a couple of shows that, that come to mind. Um, I'm a producer and performer for a Northeast Theatre company called Contestant Theatre. And we do a lot of socially based issues. So we did shows in the past about depression and uh, suicide and shows in the past about um, the failure of the foster care system. They're two shows that are coming to mind mm. in particular. And I've often remembered walking off stage when you're 
channeling those really strong emotions uh, of whether it might be, you know, anger or it could be, you know, despair or whatever it might be, that, that you need to be really um, a, a, a kind of strong going into it too as a person kind of mm. being aware of like parking your own stuff at the side of the stage, channeling all this emotion through your body and, and, and displaying it to an audience, but then being able to, you know, pocket it away and, and, and let it go, I suppose, after the performance is over or not. So you're not bringing it home with you and, yes. and letting it hang over you. There's often been, you know, horror stories, I suppose, of actors in the past who have let the emotion kind of run away with them. I suppose people like Heath Ledger and, and, mm. and I know even when Mel Gibson played Hamlet, uh, there was a famous story of him like bringing, uh, bringing it all home with him um, as well. So, you know, it's just... Uh, we like I suppose emotions are very powerful things, and we, we don't really, as people, think about them uh, a, a lot until they become up, they come up to the fore. Mm. So this particular summer project is for young people, as, especially as well, is to say, well, look, yes, you're using these emotions to to uh, express your art and, and to tell a story, but then you also need to be able to be aware of them beforehand and afterwards, and, and be able to put them away in a box afterwards. And I have to say, Jerry, it kind of came to us really from. The work that we were doing with our youth theatre over the lockdowns. Mm. Um, so, with the lockdowns, Act Out Youth Theatre, uh, like a lot of youth theatres around the country, kind of kept going over online. And um, it was like a lifeline for both the young people and, I have to admit, the facilitators as well to to keep. To keep to keep it going, to get an expression every week, the young people would meet up. We'd meet up on Zoom. We'd play a few exercises. We we'd work on some some performing um, uh, projects. But also in the middle of lockdown, especially the the, the height of the lockdown, we'd spend some time in the middle of each work, um, lockdown or each session. Sorry, uh, just kind of checking in with each other, yes. um, seeing how the young people were. Um, you know, obviously they were schooling from home. They were, you know, everything was, was based in their bedroom. And, and, you know, it was like an important time for them to, to check in with each other and see who was struggling, who wasn't, you know, um, what coping mechanisms was working for uh, one young person, which might have then helped another young person. So it was very much like a peer support kind of um, session that would end up happening in the middle of each workshop. Um, and it was really important, I think, to get through those difficult times of the lockdown. And I think it was stemmed from that that we came to the idea of having this programme for the summer project now that, you know, the young people will end up doing um, a lot of meditation, which we work into our, our, our regular workshops as well, because it's great for emotional awareness um, too. Um, and we did that with them through lockdown also, but that could be worked into the summer project as well. Um, and also techniques for grounding. Um, so great techniques that might help people even in everyday life if they're having very strong emotions that, you know, for example, that might lead to a panic attack um, in the worst case scenario mm. um, if, if, if left um, unchecked. Um, for, and we'll be doing that while also then looking at very... Um, Interesting performing methods like uh, Stanislavski or, or, or Meisner, who was uh, responsible for the method that you know very famously, uh, like people like Marlon Brando and Dustin Hoffman would, would champion, um, and see how emotions are used in those kind of methods of performing as well. So yeah, so lots lots to get into over three days. 
And uh, when you talk about resilience, uh, mm. it, it's something that, you know, it seems that young people need more of and any help they can get mm. with today is very important because of this uh, unbelievable world, connected world yeah. that, that that we live in. Is it, mm. you work with youngsters from 14 years of age yeah. up, are you full on this programme and is it just for uh, people uh, of enacting disposition? So, um, we have about two or three places left, Jerry. So um, if people do want to express interest, they can email us at actoutmead at gmail.com. And we've got three more places left. Um, so feel free to give us a, give us a wee message. Um, we generally, the youth theatre takes any young person in from the Mead area uh, of secondary school going age. Um, this one in particular, we're taking just the slightly older of 14 plus. Um, and basically, while it's not 100% necessary, uh, previous acting experience uh, is kind of advantageous just because we'll be leaping in a bit to maybe some complex um, acting methods. So if you haven't done any kind of performing before, uh, not that you'll be completely lost, of course, we'll get everybody caught up and everybody on the same page, but just that, um, uh, so not to bamboozle maybe somebody straight out the gate, I suppose. Uh, we'll be talking about, like as I said before, people like Stanislavski and Meisner who, might get a little bit complex into some of the acting methods there. Um, like we have members of Act Out since 2017 come to come to the project, so it'll be as much for them as it will be for any new members. Mm. And we'll get any new members uh, caught up to, to speed for sure. But it, I think resilience is a really important thing. Uh, like as you said, this connected world that we're living in, uh, young people, I suppose, are, uh, can be connected 24-7, which it wasn't like that back in my day, Jerry. Yes, and <laughs> not in mine, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but just even just dealing with things like, the young people have had to deal with things like the lockdowns, which, you know, like I never had to deal with back yes. when I was young. And, and uh, or even just like, I suppose, the news that we, the bad news that we hear every day with from wars to climate change yeah. and all that kind of stuff that, that yeah. gets thrown in their face. And I think not just even young people, Jerry, but um, those older as well, you know, having that time or awareness to be checking in with yourself and just seeing, well, what's going on here? I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm in bad form all day or I'm snapping at the kids or whatever it might be that, that we have that, those tools to be able to stop and say, take a breath and check in with yourself and see what's going on and see what's really annoying you and see what's really great in your, um, below. I mean, the great thing about this summer project is that they're great techniques for a performer to have as well so that we can then be more aware of our emotions yes. so that we're not bringing our own stuff onto stage and letting that affect the story that we're telling, but also that you get to use these really useful tools then in the everyday life mm. um, and become more resilient people. Well you know, said, content. well said, Anthony. It mm. takes place to, from tomorrow the 9th to the 11th at the Solstice Arts Centre from 10.30 yeah. to 4 o'clock each day. Actoutmead at gmail.com. There's only three places left. Anthony would love to hear from you. I really like this. I wish you well with it and continued success. Thanks very much, Jerry. Really Not at all. It. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Bye-bye. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, this Monday afternoon. Uh, Louise, the heat wave is on the way back again. But did you Isn't see... <laughs> well... I suppose it is in one way it is here, but it's certainly going to get it more intense as the week goes on. Um, but did you see the story uh, about the reduction in the size of people's back gardens? Glenvay Properties, well, they talked about this late last week. They want to see smaller back gardens 
with the houses that they build, reducing a back garden from 60 square metres to 40 square metres. Or, if you, in other way, uh, at the moment, there's 20 metres between the back door of one house and the back door of the other, divided mm-hmm. by two gardens and a parting wall. They want to reduce that 20 metres to 16 metres, you know, okay. between one back door and the other. What do you think? Um, I'd say it depends on what age you are, because, I mean, if you have young kids you probably want a bigger garden for them to run around. Mm. If not, I know a lot of people just don't want a garden to maintain, depending on their age or whatever. Yes. But definitely I would worry about the privacy between mm. the, the mm. houses. And what I'd worry about is, you know, it's your little space that you can get out into in, in good weather. And, mm. uh, you know, we're always talking here about growing your own or having a little bit of stuff that you can do, and even on a small scale in your back garden, I think. This is all going to take away from all. And I understand there's people who don't want gardens at all and there's people who want to downsize in gardens. Yeah. But I don't think it's a great idea, to be honest It's more concrete jungle, isn't it? Yes, that's what it's uh, what's happening. And I'd be cynical as well. I know housing is needed and more of it. But I just wonder, more profit from, uh, you know, putting more houses into the same Why amount of space. Why are they not building upwards? Mm, that's a good question. And, and that's one that needs addressing for sure. And in this country, a lot of uh, that problem with you know units and housing units could be solved by going up or making the spaces available that's up there anyway that's lying idle you know converting it and making it available to people you know that their issues as well don't want a garden or a small Mm. garden you don't mind an apartment no no, I would no, imagine. No, 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 no. Anyway, we were talking soaps on late lunch late last week and uh, certainly something caught my attention today. Would you call it a radio soap, The Archers? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Archers on BBC. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's sort of a radio drama and it's running since 1951, I think, The Archers is, is on air. Years. Yeah. It's on BBC Radio, The Archers. I'm sure there's people listening to us today have listened to it and know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's still running all these years later. But the news today that June Spencer, she's an original cast member from 1951, Louise, is retiring. (laughs) She's retiring, June. Yes, she is. At the young age of 103. Isn't wow. that something else? She's 103 She's years of age. She's late enough starting as well. <laughs> 51, 1951. Was she 40, am I right? When she uh, was in the 51 to 30, today is what? 71 years ago? And uh, she would have been 32. 32. 32, so, I reckon, when she started on uh, The Archers. Yes. And uh, I heard her interviewed. They were playing a piece of it today when she was 100. And what she had to say then. Anyway, she's stepping out at the grand old age of 103. Isn't wow. it just something else? And that set me thinking. There were radio dramas on uh, Irish radio as well. RT Radio Hain. When we had single channel radio land, does anyone remember? Now I'm going. Listen, I, I I don't even sort of remember it myself, but it it was part of the radio landscape many moons ago. The Kennedys of Castle Ross. It started in Ireland. Do you want to hear this? In 1955, and ran until 1975. So you know, 75 people would remember. I'm sure they can. At I think it was a lunchtime thing because then what I think I'm, I'm I'm right here. Do you know what followed it on red radio at lunchtime? Harbour Hotel was the lunchtime drama. <laughs> I think it was interesting. Yeah, I think it was on for about. 10 minutes each lunchtime or something like that anyway. Anyway, Harbour Hotel I think took over from the Kennedys at Castle Ross. There may have been something else as well. But they were lunchtime radio dramas on RTE Radio 1. 
And they're uh, only 10 minutes long, you're saying? I think they were 10 minutes each okay. day that they used to run for. And I'm sure people listening to us today might have a memory of the, those two on Irish radio. But... Uh, on uh, BBC The Archers rolls on but June Spencer at 103 on BBC Radio 4 Imagine retiring at 103 103 Why would you bother? She's a hell of a lump sum and pension isn't she? (laughs) For all those years (laughs) She'll cost a fortune for the next while. There's a lot of actors kind of that work on Ah, until they can't Die in their boots Actors, a lot of actors die on the boots. Eastwood's still working. He's 91, yeah, he, isn't he? Oh, he's incredible, man. Yeah, playing golf as well. Loves his golf. Oh, I'm a golfing fanatic. Yeah, so and, many do. And that do. girl, isn't she still working? Girl, as I call her. Um, Murder, she wrote, Angela Lansbury. Yes. Another, She's still working, I think, another on the stage, Another le- legendary actress uh, with longevity as well. Mm. If you remember anything we're talking about or want to have a say on late lunch, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text gets us on the show this afternoon. Now, The Fla was a massive success in Mullingar for the last seven days and we're going to talk to three young people in a while on the show who uh, we think they've made Fla history anyway. They're from County Meath and they're going to have a chat with us, the young Durkins. Uh, but mentioning the Fla Louise yeah. and our next our next artiste on Late Lunch who made an appearance line, he made an appearance in Mullingar the weekend with Nile Lu- Horn yes Nile Horn brought Mr Lewis Capaldi to Mullingar and gave him a tour of the town and he enjoyed the hospitality and the it music and everything else it was a lovely thing to else. see wasn't it lovely you know lovely. and it was lovely to see them busking in Dublin the day before yeah yeah great stuff they Fair seem to be really them. good friends very good mm. and I'm not surprised because Mr Lewis Capaldi is simply brilliant and here he is on your late lunch hold me while you wait I wish that I was good enough if only I could wake you up my love my love my love my love won't you stay Yes, the brilliant Lewis Capaldi, who was in Mullingar for the FLA this weekend and had a great time by all accounts. Pat would like to know where would he get in contact with an expert about these heat pumps and insulation. Well, if you check out the SEAI.ie website, there's loads of information there, Pat. And we were talking top of the show to Paul O'Reilly, myecohub.ie. You'll uh, get in touch with Paul there and he's a fantastic guy. Um, The other one I have there I want to mention just at the moment and thanks indeed for all your messages uh, cop on Jerry. more houses in uh, less space means the builder gains and that comes into us uh, this afternoon along with much more now let's move on on late lunch this afternoon and have a chat with one of our regulars she's a work behaviorist and she joins us each month to talk about different aspects of work and the working life and today we're talking about perfectionism i'm delighted to say hello again to fiona buckley hello fiona hi jerry i'm very excited to talk about this topic because it's one very dear to my heart because i'm what i call a recovering perfectionist (laughs) what do you mean by that 
Yeah, well, I suffered with perfectionism for a long time and I, and I still have it, but I, I've tried to keep it in check. So it's something that comes up a lot in coaching sessions or in training sessions with companies. And perfectionism, it affects how we think, how we behave, how we feel. And in its most basic form, it's the ability to want things to be done perfect. And it's often in line with very high expectations or, or inaccurate expectations. And um, in the words of Lewis Capaldi uh, in the song previously, I wish I was good enough. And that's what people with perfectionism are always striving to be as good as they possibly can. When you say you're recovering, have you abandoned uh, perfectionism? <laughs> Definitely not. And if you ask anyone who knows me, they will certainly uh, <laughs> testify to that. Like it, it can be good and bad. And we'll talk about that in a moment, about kind of the benefits of it as well. But I've kept it in check. I've had to keep it in check because the impact of perfectionism on other people that you work with can be, you know, we need to be very careful about that side. But there's, there's the kind of three types of perfectionism, if I can explain, Jerry, yes. what they are because I know your listeners will resonate with some of these. So the first type of a perfectionist is what we call a socially prescribed perfectionist. Now, this can be the kind of dangerous one because these people can become really self-critical and the, um, they can feel this really immense pressure to be the best and worry others will reject them. And this can often lead to anxiety and low confidence and, you know, not sleeping and waking up at night worried in the workplace. The second one is what we call other orientated perfectionists. These are people and often managers or leaders can be these people, but they hold others to very high standards and can be very critical and judgmental of other people's work because of their own expectations. Expectations. So managing and leading people can become very problematic under somebody who has this one. Okay. The third one, which is probably the one that I had fall victim to and, and still sometimes do, is what we call a self-orientated perfectionist. This is someone who's extremely organized and conscientious. They set really high standards for themselves in their personal lives and their work lives, but they're able to go after their goals. They're able to succeed and they're able to be very assertive, very resourceful, but sometimes they can fall into that kind of anxiety circle. So I often joke here uh, for a second, Jerry. you know, if you've got friends organizing a, a night away on a WhatsApp group, the person who's the most organized always gets the task. And that tends to be me, by the way. <laughs> but it, it, it's the same in personal life. If you're an organizer, you will get these tasks and you're very conscientious. So there's the three types of perfectionism. You can have all three or you can be more attuned to one of them. When you mention the three different types and that you are recovering one, can I put this to you? Is it a waste of time, you know what I mean, striving to be a perfectionist or having that as part of your makeup or DNA at work when it's not possible for most people. Yeah, I mean, like for, for many people, perfectionism is part of a personality trait. It's innate and it's in you. And that's certainly part of me. And then for others, it can be inherited. So it can be from a parent, a teacher, a boss, a colleague, things like that. So I think we have to be mindful of is it coming from within yourself or is it coming from the environment? But there is many upsides of perfectionism as well. So perfectionism is OK as long as it's kept in check and the impact on yourself and other isn't too great and what what are the downsides of uh, being a perfectionist I take it's for, it, it's all internal to the perfectionist themselves or are the downsides do they impact on others that surround you 
Exactly, exactly. And I often see perfectionism can be a double-edged sword, Jerry. The downside is that we're when we have perfectionism, we're so structured and organized that we're not as reactive to change and we don't respond to change. Like the classic example is March 2020 when the pandemic happened. So perfectionism would have struggled that little bit more than people that are much more you know, reactive to change. So sometimes our creativity can be a little bit stifled because we're on this path of of the way we do things. And I often say perfectionisms will drive to the shop. They'll always drive the same route. They're used to their way of doing things. Sometimes there can be that real fear of failure. And that can be okay if it drives you. But if it's overcoming you too much, it can be a negative. And there's often feelings of self-doubt. They have more stress. They definitely take on more work-related stress and they can take feedback extremely personal because they're spending maybe hours perfecting a PowerPoint deck or, a, you know, an Excel spreadsheet that if somebody's coming back criticizing that work, they can take it really personal. On the other side, the upside is that they're extremely self-determined very, very self-motivated. And again, March 2020, when the pandemic happened, these type of people probably got on that little bit quicker and easier to say, okay, here's this new way of working. I need to be focused. While the change hit them, they still have that focus. Also, with perfectionists, you're almost guaranteed to get very, very high quality work and high attention to detail because of the perfectionism. And they're usually quite engaged and extremely organized. So it is a double-edged sword, and it's about balancing the upsides and the downsides to make sure that impact on yourself and others isn't too great. And you've probably experienced this as well. It's difficult when you, you set a bar at a height yourself, and that's all right for you, but there are others that can't set that bar or reach that height. And then people who are perfectionists get you know, uh, frustrated or annoyed when others don't. How do you cope with that? Do you just let it in one ear and out the other? Well, if we do, it's not going to solve it. And I yeah. often see this in leadership sessions where, you know, leaders and managers aren't delegating because they, they, they feel the staff and employees under them won't do it the way they do it. Mm. And delegation comes up constantly as a problem. And the more managers and leaders are perfectionists, the less likely they're going to delegate. And then they get caught in this loop of burnout themselves. So it can be a, a real issue. And I do think it has to be tackled. And if this issue isn't going away, that's the thing, Jerry. I think it's actually increased that little bit more during the pandemic because when we're working from home or we're in that hybrid area, if you're a manager or a leader and you're very, very conscientious and very prone to perfectionism, you're always going to be checking up on your staff. You're always going to be checking your things done. And equally, if you're an individual working from home or in that hybrid way, you're going to be surrounded by your thoughts that little bit more rather than around that buzz of the office. So again, your inner critic could be fired up against your perfectionism. But there is things you can do as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What can I do if my manager or boss is that perfectionist? What do you say to people who, you know, find themselves in that environment? Yeah, well, with a manager or leader that has that perfectionism, It's very important. The trust piece is very important because when a manager or leader has perfectionism, it's all based on trust. So if you deliver and your results are good and the trust is there, it's much easier. If mistakes happen and things like that are there, it can can make that relationship that little bit more difficult. So I would say make sure that trust is there. Don't take the criticism personally. It's often their issue, not yours. And if they're checking up on you, they're not actually checking up on you as a person. They're checking up on the task. 
Also, be mindful that you can sometimes push back on deadlines. A perfectionist leader often sets what we call soft deadlines, which aren't real deadlines. And they're kind of saying, oh, can you have this to me by four o'clock on Friday? But realistically, they might not need it till next Wednesday. So push back on deadlines if it's appropriate, of course, and if it's relevant. And it's always worthwhile to check and see where do you sit on that perfection spectrum? Are you the complete opposite to a, spec- to, to a perfectionist? And if your leader is that perfectionist, we need to be mindful of personality clash that's there. You talk about a clash. So if you have somebody at either end of the continuum, perfectionist and, and someone who isn't or extremely not, how do you marry that? Yeah, well, I'm actually married to one of those in real life. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have a lot of experience. It works, it works. In this particular field. But um, with the complete opposite, um, when you have a perfectionist and the opposite is someone who's very go with the flow, is very reactive to change. And sometimes working with them, they often say opposites attract. So it can be that yin and yang. It can work really well, actually, Mm. with the balancing. But when you have the same personality type, you can actually clash or the opposite. So it's all about those little bits in between. When you're working with someone who's very different, it's really important that you both try to compromise that little bit. Um, And you'd see this a lot more with peers and colleagues as opposed to leaders and, and staff. But you have to compromise that little bit to know that the other person has just as much to offer in their way of working. And indeed, we love diversity. We love diversity of personalities yes. in the work. We need everybody from both sides to work together because then we are kind of, you know, getting that change that people uh, on the other side of the spectrum will have. That is so true. It really is. It's an amalgam of all and the coming together and the joining of the parts makes the whole even stronger. Just come back to that point, would you, you made a few moments ago and you were mentioning about perfectionist managers checking in on, on people and you were saying, well, really it's the work and the task that they're, they're, they're interested in. What about the person who is virtually or hybrid working? Has it put pressure on them to become more of a perfectionist? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, processes and stuff have slowed down in some cases a little bit because we have been virtual and hybrid because we can't always get the people that we want to reach. So also we want to protect our virtual and hybrid working arrangements. So we want to make sure there's no mistakes. And a lot of people in that hybrid and virtual space want to remain working like that. So I think they're doing sometimes extra steps. Now, obviously, I'm speaking very generally here that it's not for everybody, but people want to protect that environment. So they are maybe spending that extra half an hour on something to make sure it is working. Um, If you're physically in an office with someone, it's much easier to collaborate sometimes. So when we're on our own from home, it's quite different. Um, There is one thing I would like to just to mention as well, Jerry, is if an individual is listening to this today and does feel they have that perfectionism that they'd like to rein in that little bit, if it's okay with you, I'd like to share some very practical tips. Yes, please. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is if you are that perfectionist, and again, I'm speaking really personally here because I have had this over the years, is to reflect and reframe on your expectations. So always ask yourself, is this realistic? Am I working to this realistic deadline or am I throwing myself under the bus here? The second thing I'd say is become more aware and bring it into your consciousness every day and practice that self-acceptance or self-compassion when you can. Perfectionists are really, really hard on themselves. They really, really are. So give yourself a break is what I'm saying. Also, identify your perfectionist triggers because certain people will trigger that perfectionism and that could be a manager or it could be a colleague or someone at home. 
We mentioned earlier, be mindful of the impact on others, because if you are that perfectionist, just check back in and say, am I putting too much pressure on my my team that report into me or my peers? Another thing to be mindful of is what we call black and white thinking. And black and white thinking, for example, is anything less than perfect is a failure. But perfectionists' idea of perfect is very different from the regular person's idea of perfect. Another example of black and white thinking is if I need help from others, then I'm weak. Perfectionist personality type people very rarely ask for help. So what I'm saying today is give yourself permission to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. And the last one I would say is stop yourself from checking and rechecking and rechecking your work excessively. Perfectionists tend to read through a document. They read through it again and again and again, and they're finding these little things that really don't matter. So that's what I would say is a couple of tips that might certainly help. Fantastic. You've covered uh, some ground with us this afternoon. You've been perfect, may I say. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Take care of yourself, Fiona. Bye-bye. FionaBuckley.com. She's a work behaviourist and she's brilliant. And she joins us each month to chat about different aspects of work and the working life. I will survive. I have to say a big happy birthday belatedly to two of our boys here in LMFM Radio. Fionn O'Brien. Fionn, happy birthday. I believe you had a big day on Saturday. And our Mark, Mark O'Driscoll. I think I saw him dancing around the studio here. Did you, Louise? <laughs> Were we invited to the big event? He, he, was, do, he was doing the crab. I, I think I saw Mark doing the crab around the studio here. That's <laughs> the crab. <laughs> well, the way he was dancing was like a crab, you'd see, with our, with our tentacles up in the air going round and his head down. Yeah, I must try and find out what that's all about myself. Anyway, happy birthday, boys, belatedly from us. Miss Louise and myself here on the yeah. Happy birthday, guys. <laughs> on the late lunch. <laughs> um, you were just saying uh, there's a uh, breaking news story and it ties in with our earlier discussion with Paul O'Reilly about the, the heat pumps. Yeah, just the CSO, according to their new survey, detached houses use 82% more natural gas heating than apartments. It's a go. lot, isn't it? It's a lot. Ah, well, it's understandable, the exposure of the four walls, yeah. where, whereas you're in an apartment complex as well, and a set of terraced houses, I'm and sure. And heat rises, so the further course, up you Of course, there you the go. Apartment block. Uh, I like my detached house, to be honest with you. I just like it. I was reared in a terraced house. I grew up in a terraced house. Uh, and then after I got married, I have lived in two detached houses since then, and I've enjoyed living in them. I've, I've had the privilege of living in them, and I do like it. But that's an interesting stat, isn't it? It is, Louise. It'll just show you, take a lot more to insulate that detached house uh, as yeah. well, you know, going forward. A lot more thinking, I think. Yeah. Minalty or minalty? Minalty. Say that again. Minalty. Minalty. All to one side, like the turn of Minolte, as they say. <laughs> Minolte, that's what you call it, is it? Well, the steam threshing is on. Have you ever been to the oh, steam threshing? Oh, years ago. Were you? I was only a child. Oh, it's yeah. coming uh, this Sunday. It's on this coming Sunday. It's 47th anniversary, Louise. It's 47 years on the go. It's some day, isn't it? It's one mm. hell of a day um, out. It really is. Did I read something? They have new machines or something? Cobbler in Something about a cobbler closing up in Dublin. Could be wrong. And he had these machines and he wanted to give it to a new home and they're gone to Minolte. Lovely. All the machinery is there, including this new cobbler stuff, threshing mills, horse-drawn harvesters. 
Nathan Carter's there and the Levy's Matt and Paul and Now we'll have to play Wagon Wheel for <laughs> yeah, Saturday. Well, the gates open at 10am next Sunday. Make sure you get there early for a great day out. 47 years they're celebrating. And my question today was the Irish for Minolte is Mainyalta. Mainyalta. That's M-I-G-M-A-I-G-H little N-E-A-L-T-A. Mainyalta. And the meaning, the literal meaning of that is the plane of the flocks. I there you are. That. Not all to one side, <laughs> which many people think it, it means. No, it doesn't mean that. It's actually the plane of the flocks. Sandra Boyd, well done to you. Those tickets to the festival are yours. After three, three young people from Mead making history at the FLA and my Artist of the Week. Yes, I remember listening to the Kennedys of Castle Ross at lunchtime with my mam, Jerry. That era included the sponsored programmes, including the great dear Frankie. It may not be your problem today but it could be tomorrow, as she said in her dulcet voice. Yes, she did. Thanks, Eddie, for reminding us of that. And, of course, the Waltons, Waltons, uh, the uh, music uh, shop, the famous music shop in Dublin, were sponsors of many of those lunchtime programmes at the time. Now, my artists of the week this week, they were the pop culture icons of the decade, leading the teen pop resurgence of the 90s. They were formed in 1994 by Bob and Chris Herbert, who wanted a girl group to compete with the British boy bands who ruled the roost at the time. Signing with Virgin Records, their debut single in 1996, Wannabe, I guess you have it now, topped the charts in 37 countries. Taken from their first album, released the same year and simply called Spice, which sold, listen to this, 23 million copies worldwide, becoming the best-selling album ever by an all-female group. The single and album paved the way for the Spice Girls to rule the world of pop for a number of years. Did you know this? The all-girl group were initially called Touch. Then the name Spice was suggested, but they were in trouble there because it was already taken by a rapper of the same name. Until in late 1995, Victoria Beckham, Melanie Brown, Emma Bunton, Melanie Chisholm and Jerry Halliwell became known as the Spice Girls and as they say, the rest is history. So let's begin a week of Girl Spice with their debut single. The Late Lunch Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. Yes, as Louise reminded me, it's Girl Power Week on Late Lunch with the Spice Girls. Yes, that's their debut single. They're massive for them and I'll tell you more about them. And we'll spin another disc from the Spice Girls round about this time tomorrow. We think we have history for you next. Uh, For the first time ever, three siblings from the one family have won at the FLA. Yes, the Durkins are joining me on Late Lunch in about two to three minutes. Ah, we looked with envious eyes from the northeast. Yes, the FLA. Twice it came to Drogheda before the pandemic and poor Mullingar, they had to wait three years to put it on. But by God, did they put on a show this last week. And we believe history may have been made at the FLA because, you see, the Durkin family from Atboyan County Mead have won not one, two, but three titles for singing at the flower and we're going to hear from them now. First, Katrina, mum joins me on the line. Hello, Katrina. 
Hi, how are you? I'm really good. Well, you have a lot of polishing to do for the next while. Oh, holy God, we reckon we'll have to have a new shelf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations to all of the family. And it's not just the three winners. You have five of them that are talented. Absolutely, yeah, and they're all winners in our eyes. Sure, what's what's one day? Yes, they are indeed winners, and they won for singing. As I said, they're wonderful, yeah. wonderful singers. Where does this talent come from? May I ask? Is it deep in the DNA of you, their daddy, oh, the family? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my family, my parents would have. We've been singing all our lives, so we're very lucky to have a line coming down the line through us, and uh, it's just fantastic to keep the tradition going and keep it alive. And they also play instruments as well. It's not just the singing talent they have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're a busy house. What would you be doing? <laughs> Only noise and fighting, you know yourself. <laughs> I love it. It's just what it is. It's a Cayley house for sure. But look, as I said at the start there, to win one, to win two, to win three uh, oh, is sure. amazing. In fairness, isn't it? it's incredible. We didn't, I don't think we've It's even hit ourselves yet. Like, we, we just went one day at a time, one competition at a time, and they sang brilliant. So, regardless, of firsts or seconds it was it was great they were fantastic anyway so it just worked out for us that's all yeah now we're going to hear now and then I'm going to talk to them I want to play a clip of Fionn and Cleana singing and they're singing here about an unclear glass the green sheep yeah. yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, let, um, let's have yeah, a listen first. let's yeah. have a listen to this here we go Mammy, put me on the Fionn for a moment, will you there, please? Hello. Fionn, how are you? Congratulations. We've been just uh, listening to yourself and uh, Cleana there singing away. Tell us about you and what did you sing to win the uh, the competition at the Flower? Uh, I sang Cooking uh, Glonnafen and Queer uh, Gloss, which is the one you just heard there. Terrific. Well, you are brilliant, may I say. Thank you. Uh, oh, no, you uh, genuinely. And, and tell us, the competition was uh, tough, was it? You were up against great singers. Yeah, they were all good singers. And Even the competition was at a lower level. Everyone was at the same level. Yes. And do they announce it 3-2-1 or do they just announce the winner? 
No, they go third place, second place, and then the, the first place. Could you believe it when your name was called? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well deserved it is for you. It's a great, great title to win at the FLA. Thank you. And what do you play? Do you play a musical instrument too? Yeah, I play the fiddle. Good on you. And are, are you fluent at Irish? Would you like, are you working to become fluent or how good are you at the Irish language? Because you're singing through Irish there. Um, well, we went to an Irish primary school uh, and we speak Irish at home all the time. Good on you. So as your mammy said there, you fight through Irish, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter the language, it goes on one no. way or the other. Well, I'm delighted for you. Will you put me on to Cleaner for a second, please? Yeah. Fionn, thank you. Hello. Hi, Cleaner. Hello. Congratulations to you too. Thank you. What did you sing at the FLA? Um, I sang Cogart Nakudabana and Marakabago Mailon. Right, and again, the FLA is the best of the best from Ireland and all over the world that come together in these competitions. Do you do you get you know when you get up and sing and you have to sing in front of the judges and people and 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 that doesn't bother you, does it at all? Um, it's a bit nervous, okay. a little bit before you go up, but it's it's okay when you're up there. Yes, the nerves just leave leave you and you get into your stride and away you go. Yeah. I said to uh, Fionn there, your brother, you know, was he surprised when he won? When you look at who you were up against, what did you think? Did you realistically think he had a good chance of winning the Cup? Uh, I was really surprised. Uh, Yeah, it was a really tough competition. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. That was you were the second one uh, to pick up the honour and 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 win at the FLA. May I ask you too? What's your preferred instrument to play besides the singing? I play the fiddle as well. Good. So God Almighty, it must be a very uh, busy house with music and Kana, is it? Yeah, it's very busy. <laughs> but that's that is the way to have it, isn't it? It really yeah. is. Did you do much celebrating since you won? What have you done since you picked up the cup? Uh, we we didn't do much celebrating yet, but we're going to do a little party some night, some time during the week. Good on you. Well done. That's going to be a packed house and a big occasion. Ticket only, we have to say. You won't get in if you call to the door. Now, <laughs> you just hold on there because I'm going to talk to Coonel in a minute, but we want to we want to hear Coonel singing Court Valianua and here it comes. Let's have a listen. Hello, Connell. Are you there for me? Yeah. Ah, Connell, what a lovely voice you have. Thank you. Ah, you've the sweetest little voice, I have to say, singing there, Court Valenua, for us this afternoon. Well, well, what does it feel like for you to have that lovely 
silver cup along with Fiona and Cleana? feel very happy. I'm sure you are very happy. And again, when you won the cup, what did that feel like? When you were named as the winner, were you just over the moon? Yeah. <laughs> oh, tell me about you and your singing. Are you singing since you were a little small? Lad? You're only 10 now. Are you singing from a very young age? Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah, and do you, do you, you know, do you listen to Fionn and Cleena and, and their singing and your other brothers and sisters, I must mention, Oshin and Aidan as well, they sing and play too. Do you like to, you know, be as good as them? Yeah, I always listen to them in the car when we're going somewhere. Good on you. Good on you. You love to listen to them and take from them as well. So you're going to parade the cup around your friends and show them what you want. Yeah. Oh, do, 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 Connell. Make sure you do that because when you win at the FLA, it's a big, big thing to win at FLA, Cole. You know that as well. Congratulations to you. Will you put me back on to your mam for a second, please? Yeah. Hello. Katrina. Well. <laughs> you have fantastic young people in your family, I have to say. Oh, I tell you, we're wrecked now. We've been up and down to Mullingar since last Monday and they're shattered. But sure, look, we're still here. We're here again now for the finish off and Great. that'll be the end of it then yeah. for another year. God, I, I, I knew when it was in Drogheda, I felt that myself on the Monday. It finished finished yesterday, yes? Uh, well, no, no, we're no. here today now, just a few tunes on the street. Yes, I know, and, it's it's uh, it's the day after. Nice. Yeah. yeah, the day after is nice. Before people go home, they kind of converge yes. and we have a nice tune and it's it's lovely. And you know, there's a, there's a sense as well of the week, it's great when you're there and in it and it flies by and you wonder, oh God, it was too quick. Do you ever get oh, that yeah, feeling? Oh yeah, for you sure, know? for yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. It really oh, is. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say Mullingar was great for us too. Like it was a, a the town layout was really, uh, it was just great. Like there was plenty of space and good crowds and mm. uh, it was a great flat. Oh, it's something else to come to your town. It really is. And it's back next year in Mullingar, yes? That confirmed uh, yet? I don't know if it's confirmed yet. I don't know. Oh, surely uh, it hopefully, is. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Usually they get two years at least. Usually, and, yeah. And yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. let's hope they do. Well, listen, you're very kind to join us today because I know there's an awful lot going on and you're still in the man down there. But congratulations to all of the Dorkin family Thank you. on Thank this you wonderful time. And uh, I'm sure their names and talents we're going to hear about in the future as well. Thank you, Katrina. Thanks very much. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's the Durkins there from at Bye. Three titles, singing titles at the FLA. It's a rarity. It certainly, certainly is. Bringing the curtain down on your late lunch this Monday afternoon. Now, tomorrow on Late Lunch, Tuesday, we're going to hear about a truly generous act of kindness. Uh, unfollow me. I'm sure there's lots of people who would love... Well, they make sure that people don't follow them anymore. Anyway, Judy Cuff has a brilliant new book out called Unfollow Me. She's joining me on the show tomorrow. Tony Conlon's back after we break uh, with his motoring feature. And we will bring you another two on Tuesday and more from Girl Power, the Spice Girls our Artists of the Week. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. Get out into those back gardens, no matter what size they are, and enjoy your evening. And come back, please, and join us for your late lunch, Tuesday at 1.30. See you then. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.